Hello, and welcome to the FinTech Marketing Podcast. In today's episode, we are joined by Jim Maroos from The Financial Brand. We take a look at what he's most excited about in the marketing world and the world of financial services. And Jim is one of those people that just has such an amazing and broad perspective on the industry, has been involved in so many things over the course of his career. He's going to talk about what he sees as brands and businesses, what they're up to, who's doing it best right now, and what marketers should really be thinking about to level it up in this industry. So much valuable advice and insight in this episode with Jim. Before we get into it, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Whatever your payment plans, Visa, the world's leader in digital payments, is on hand with the expertise, programs, solutions, and partner networks to help make it happen. Bring your big idea to life. Partner with Visa to do it bigger and faster. Visit visa.co.uk slash fintech. Today's guest is Jim Maroos, and I'm going to take a deep breath before I go into all of the accolades and activities that Jim is involved in, because it's a long list. Here we go. Jim Maroos, internationally recognized financial industry strategist, co-publisher of the financial brand, owner and publisher of the Digital Banking Report, host of the top 10 banking podcasts. I think that's actually top five now. Banking Transformed, one of the most influential people in banking and top five fintech influencer to follow, the man, the legend. Welcome on the show, Jim Maroos. Hey, great to be on the show. Yeah, I, w- whenever they go through that, I go, God, I got to figure out a better way to put that because it's just, I can't live up to what's been said about me. It's kind of like you, you drop the mic now and you say, done, I'm out of here. Uh, maybe that's what you should do. Maybe we should just cut it here. Have yeah, mic there drop we go. Moment. I didn't even go into all the publications that you are oh, a contributor God, no, to, but no, yeah. how about Jim Maroos does lots of cool things, knows lots of stuff. If you don't know him, you should. It's catchy, right? There we go. There you go. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Jim, thank you so much for making the time. Really looking forward to chatting with you today. So the question that I'm asking all guests to kick things off for season two, what are you most excited about in the world of marketing right now? You know, it's interesting when you ask that, it's what I'm most excited about. And it's also what I'm most frustrated by. And it's the potential of personalization. especially in the banking world, where you have the ability to do the types of things that people expect. And and at a time when the consumer expectations have increased exponentially since COVID. So, you know, when we, we talked to marketers before and you talk about Netflix and the ability to predict what they want to watch next. Well, most people got to experience that or they got to experience a, a grocery delivery service that would tell you, oh, by the way, based on your, your the way you've been ordering things in the past, do you want this again? That predictability, that personalization, that connectivity and, and contextuality is so extremely exciting in financial services. But on the frustrating side, it's something we do so terribly. And in fact, I think consumers and businesses are becoming more aware of the misses. So a, a quick quick example is my business bank sent me an email and, and start off by going, hey, we've got some government funds that you may be interested in. It had my name. It was all good. Small business, good. And if you want to do this, then go to your online banking site if you've signed up for it. If not, go here and sign up for it. And if you also can, sign up for our mobile banking for business site. And if you haven't tried already, try mobile deposit capture. Now, that would be great if I hadn't already used and had been signed up for all those elements. So you realize being from the banking world that – There's somebody in the marketing department that had to work really hard to get that email to get approved. And in the meantime, they're having all these 
items, legal descriptions below that. And the targeting personalization was nil, except that I'm a small business. And those misses get amplified in a world where the consumer and business is more aware than ever of what the possible is. Yeah. And the expectations that are changing around that. Oh, yeah. But it's so exciting. I mean, you know, you've been involved in for years. You know, what we've talked about, what we thought would be possible, now is not only possible, but it's been shown in real life to so many people what can be done, that financial institutions now, if they don't do it, the misses are greater than they ever would have been otherwise. Is there anyone that you think is doing it well? Have you seen any good examples out there? From a financial services side? Yeah. Or, or any brands, actually, but yeah. Yeah, well, certainly the Amazons and Googles. Yep. Uh, you know, yeah, and and there's, the thing is, we talk about embedded banking, and I think the ability to do it where you don't know it's being done is where it's really special. I mean, Uber Eats, when I, I go to, uh, I want to order a meal to have takeout or delivery, I should say, they say, do you want to reorder what you did before? Now, that little Ability to take what you already know and implement it seamlessly improves the experience. I was told, oh, sign up for an Apple card. The experience is outstanding. And so I said, okay. So I went to the Apple site, signed up for an Apple card. But the sign up is simply look on your mobile phone, validate that what we have about you is already right. It was. Give us your four digits of your government ID number. That's four taps. Give your annual income another, you know, three or four taps and validate that you approve the rules and regulations. And you're and immediately they get back and go, you're approved for X thousand dollars. I go, whoa, that that's it. That's a level of personalization which falls into also the seamless experience and ease and simplicity that makes it easy. And then they they basically come back and go, by the way, the 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 card and the availability of this credit is already in your Apple wallet. And you want a, a metal card and you think, okay, that's pretty cool. So yeah, I would do. They said it'll be delivered in three days. It was delivered in two. It was a, a traditional Apple, you know, zip strip cardboard container when you open up, it's white and embossed. And then they take it one step further and say, okay, just take your phone to the card holder to verify that you are the owner. So you don't, you're not calling up to put in 16 digits. Everything's different. And again, people are starting to realize this can be done and this needs to be done, especially in financial services where we have so much information. And you only have to go to some of the fintechs to realize how personalized and seamlessly the experience is. Yeah, and I think it's that word, it's experience, right? Because we on the marketing side of the house can talk about personalization and how you're managing data and content variabilities and stuff like that. And customer doesn't care. They care about the experience. And so good marketing is going to make that experience better. It's going to deliver more value through that experience. And I would imagine in the world of financial services, you know, you have this whole kind of coming together now of technology companies getting into banking and FS and all that. And that is one of the big advantages. And I would imagine a lot of those big banks are scared of is they're much better at creating that frictionless and personalized and just value oriented service for the user. Well, and and it's, it's partially because of the risk focus of financial institutions. Yeah. So the fear of doing something wrong makes it so they do very little right. And I, I don't mean that overall in banking, but but as far as personalization, geez, if we mistarget, something can be wrong. Well, mistargeting, as I said from the beginning now, can be simply that you didn't target well as opposed to you targeted wrong. I'd rather have you make a mistake on my behalf than 
you're not targeting at all. And and it's an interesting dynamic because you mentioned about the experience aspect too. And you know, we talk about digital transformation so much. It's not digital transformation. It's digital experience transformation. Because at the end of the day, if you have great information about me and you're not implementing it so I know you're doing it, it's worthless. It's just a great report. It's not a great experience. So you really have to look and say, how do I make it so the consumer understands that we're innovative, that we're yep. using data and analytics, that we're fixing our back office so that it makes it seamless and easy? It's, and it all really has to do with marketing because at the end of the day, marketing is just sales. And, and it's where you can sell things through simply building good experiences and understand what I should do next. And I, I call it the GPS of financial services. What I want you to do is tell me ways I can avoid problems, easier paths to where my financial goals are, much the same way as the GPS has, as opposed to the traditional way of giving me the rear view mirror of financial services, which simply tells me what's already happened. When at that point, it's already worthless. Yeah. I know what I've done. I don't know what I should do. Yeah. One of the things I always come back to, you know, the role of marketing is to drive growth of a business. So you say marketing is sales. I say role of marketing is to drive growth, kind of the same thing. And I think so much of the industry can often get caught up in marketing for the sake of marketing. Marketing is a means to an end. It's not an end in itself. And so all of these conversations need to be contextualized to how are you actually driving growth results of the business through a better experience, through a better product, through whatever those metrics are. Can I th throw something out just because I'm curious to get your thoughts? I'm fascinated by this, but I'll admit I'm not close enough to really understand what's happening on the ground. The opportunity and potential of AI creative production I think that's going to be fascinating. And it applies to this world of personalization, of course, because it's just impossible, particularly if you're a large organization, to actually create personalized content at the scale that you would need to if we're talking one-to-one -one or even one-to-five or one-to-ten to do it through human beings, writing content, coming up with ideas, art directing, whatever. Yeah. But once you start introducing technology and AI into that, I think that's going to be fascinating. Is that something you're looking at or thinking about? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, and it's interesting because... Everything we've done, when we asked about the data maturity, looking at both data and analytics, we find that what happened since last year, and it's interesting, while financial institutions have done a lot in the last year to catch up, they rated themselves lower on data and AI maturity than they did the year before. And the reason was, I think they all realized what was possible. They all realized that the marketplace exploded from the potential side. So they actually said, geez, you know, we thought we were doing okay, but we're farther behind than we thought. And what's interesting is financial institutions have used AI quite well when it comes to risk and fraud. They have not used it at all when it comes to marketing. And the application of data, we also ask financial institutions, what is your level of maturity from the standpoint of being able to use data to predict next best product, what, which I would call the, the baseline of using data and analytics to drive a, a potential engagement? Less than 25% found themselves to be adept. So 75% of organizations across all sizes found themselves to be not adept at delivering what I would call the basics of customer communication, customer engagement, and more importantly, customer intuition driving, you know, the using data to, to determine what I should do next. And, and that's scary. So I think the potential is amazing, as you said, too. 
the application of that towards creative, towards communication skills and all that, and the importance in all that of the cloud. Because you can't do this with legacy. There's no legacy technology, legacy architecture that's going to allow you to do that type of deep dive and manipulation of numbers in a world that's not cloud-based. And and the good news is we're seeing some really good cloud solutions out there um, from some of the major players that are really customized specifically to financial services. So an organization of any size can get up on the cloud relatively easy and have a lot of the baseline questions that they're going to ask already answered because they've built it around, okay, tell us how you're different than the other institutions, but we've done all the compliance and regulatory issues that can sometimes stall the process. Great. We got through the first question, so that was good. <laughs> this is great. We're going to do a uh, an extended episode here. I feel like we could just talk, I mean, go down a few rabbit holes based on that, but kind of talked about some specific things. Let's zoom out and talk about your philosophy on marketing. So obviously you do so many things. You you know talk about so much of what's going on in the industry from a digital perspective. But as I understand it, you had a bit of a background as a marketer yourself. So with that and what you're seeing right now, what do you think matters most to marketers, what they should be thinking about in the industry, how they should be thinking about what good looks like? I mean, you're in a position where you see so many of the trends, people doing things right, people doing things wrong. If you had to level it up to kind of the biggest things you think marketers should be thinking about in the world of 2021, what are those? Well, it's interesting because it's my, it's my overall philosophy that I have around leadership in general, and that is more than ever financial services leaders, as well as financial services marketers, need to leverage their experiences, but not hold on to them tightly. And they need to actually embrace the change that's happening in the marketplace that's happening so fast. They have to take risks. They can't just sit behind a desk and say, I'm only going to do what's been tested. They've got to take risks. doesn't matter what size organization. And I talk about the fact they got to disrupt themselves. And anybody who, who knows me knows that that's an ongoing theme to embrace change, take risks, and disrupt yourself. But it's more important than ever for financial marketers and marketers in any industry to leverage their experience and quickly grab onto what's happening in the marketplace today. And that's going to have to be done through lifelong learning. You can't sit back and do things the way they've done. I mean, I, I used to laugh about the fact that financial institutions, many times, the head of marketing ended up being somebody who was appointed by the, the chairman or the president of the organization. It was a friend of the family who was in the agency business. Well, mass media is not going to be the way to get there. In fact, mass media is an ancillary channel to what you need to do on the direct and digital side. And so, you know, you either have to learn it all yourself, which is something that's important anyway to know if you're making the right decisions. But now more than ever, you need to partner. There are organizations out there that can get you to the promised land, can allow you to have flexibility, agility, speed to market, and results that you can't get by yourself. And this this goes across all areas of financial services, but especially in marketing, that has changed so much. I mean, I, I know for a fact I could not be the head of marketing unless I continually dug deep and tried to find out what's the next best thing I can do. And honestly, I'm not prepared for it right now. I, I, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing is I couldn't get back into what I used to do because I was actually, my forte was direct marketing as in mail. And, and now that's still a channel, but the ability to get so much more results and, you know, and 
to understand the dynamics. I mean, just look at what Google, their algorithms changed so much that what may have happened on your behalf for your benefit yesterday could be worthless tomorrow. So you got to find other alternatives. So I, th- I think, you know, it's an overall philosophy about the need to leverage your experience, but don't hold on to it. It's like the ropes course. You know, if you hang on to that first rope as you're trying to get to the second rope, if you let it swing back again, you're farther away the next time you swing toward that, that rope you're going for. So you have to continually grab on and go for that, that next step in, in marketing. Yeah. And I think that can sometimes be daunting for people. The pace of change, how much change is out sucks. there, what are these NFT things that are happening. Oh, yeah. But I think if you find a way, you know, so much of it is self-awareness and finding ways to set yourself up to work well within what, you know, you want to accomplish and, you know, those expectations. But if you can find a way to make that constant learning and curiosity a positive thing, as opposed to it being a scary or daunting thing, I think you're totally set up for success. It's funny, I before we hopped on, I was actually on the other side of the table, I gave an interview to um, the CMO Alliance podcast, and we were talking about the future of the CMO role and what's changing. And yeah. we talked a lot about kind of how product and marketing are coming together or, pro- or marketing and commercial sales are coming together. But the other thing that I said, because they were saying, you know, what are the skills of a CMO in five years? I'm like, I don't know. However, I do know that it is going to be dependent on people who don't just think and understand the headlines of what the trends are, but actually get their hands dirty, tasting new technologies, playing around with it. Oh, definitely. It's not just, again, marketing, not for the sake of marketing. It's not just in the marketing world. It's in the consumer world as well. What's going on in the world of your customer? Are you spending time talking to them? Are you actually listening to what they're saying and understanding the trends that are going on in the culture around their life? So, you know, when you're operating at that level or any level, you're always going to have to go between the macro and the micro. But particularly as you get more senior, it's so easy to lose sight of the importance of actually spending time on the ground and being hands-on with things. What's interesting is speed of change is so extreme right now that you've also got to be willing to partner. There are going to be people out there that are going to understand what you don't understand quicker, faster, and specialize in this. And what is interesting, this allows organizations of any size to actually improve what they are doing. Because what happens is you can't keep up with everything. You bring up NFT, but you can bring up anything. That's where you have to partner to do that. And if you partner, you know, we're really talking about a behavioral change here with CMOs. We're, we're talking about, and I always, as people that follow me know, I'm always bringing in the doctor issue and the, the issue of where the doctor for years tells you, you got to change your diet, you got to change your exercise routine. Those are behavioral changes and change sucks. So you, you do it for a little while and then you go, man, don't want to go with it until they say it's a life and death situation. I think most financial institutions right now, from the marketing perspective, are in a life and death situation where they need to determine they're the centerpiece of the organization right now. If marketing doesn't get right, you're not going to grow. Yep. Love that. That's simple. So what else is going on in your world, Jim? I mean, obviously, you know, like I did in that intro, you've got so much going on, but I would love to hear kind of what you're excited about, what's on the roadmap for this year, whether it's with the financial brand or the report or any of the stuff that you're doing. Give us a little bit on on your world right now. Yeah. What, what's interesting, and it falls in the marketing area too, is that I was fortunate enough to, number one, be in the content space before COVID where I was continually developing content through research and analysis and writing articles about other people's research analysis, including 11FS and, and doing all these things. And, and I remember in March of last year, driving back from a, a lacrosse game of my son's, his last lacrosse game actually for the year. 
and saying, you know what, people are not going to be on the road selling anymore, and they're not going to be going to events anymore for a while. What can I do to support those organizations? They're going to have sales forces. They're going to have to do things completely different. And I, I think your teams found this out too, that you find the power of content became overwhelmingly positive. I benefited tremendously from COVID from a, a business standpoint in that organizations more than ever wanted content that they could rely on. They wanted you to do research on their behalf. They want to do webinars. They want to do podcasts. They want to do, you know, a virtual events, whatever it may be. But what was interesting is as it ties back to marketing is that on an ongoing basis, it doesn't matter what you do if nobody hears that you're doing it. So you have to leverage things like social media. You have to balance what your day's made up. And as my day got busier and busier from this development stage and actually finding the content, I had to outsource how do I market what I'm doing? And so I have a social team that's working on making sure that I, I keep the exposure going. I'm not looking to find followers. I'm looking to make sure that the followers I have are satisfied with what I'm delivering. And so you, you kind of say, okay, how do, I, how do I leverage what I'm doing? And again, how do I find the people that understand the different ways to get this out here? And I'm a major fan, as, as your team is, of Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, and the ability to take any form of content and to turn it into multiple layers of content. I mean, I'm, I would imagine this podcast is not only going to become an audio track, but you may have some static social media thing to have an audio track that lays upon it. Maybe you're going to divide up the, the video track into eight to 10 different pieces of content. Well, that's easy said. You know what the process should be. But doing it takes time. And if I'm a single person team, I have contractors to work with me. But and at the end of the day, I don't have time to do that, but I need it to be done. Or I need to join community. And I've joined, I've paid six months in community and have not signed up one person because I haven't gone down that path. But they gave me an offer to, to be part of that group. And it's a great idea because it avoids all the sifting out of people that are, quote unquote, my followers that never see what I'm doing because LinkedIn or Google or Twitter or anybody else ferrets out who, who they don't want, who you know, who I should be connecting with and who I'm not. I don't know how many of those people there are. So I'd like to have a direct connection. We find the power of email is overwhelmingly positive. We at the financial brand have over 50,000 subscribers, which you realize kind of like the Amazon model. At the end of the day, subscribers drive revenue. And that's an important component. So, you know, on one side, I'm, I'm doing a lot of content um, on all channels. But most importantly, I'm trying to focus on how do I make sure that content gets seen? Because, you know, you know, I use the Field of Dreams comment, you know, just because you build it doesn't mean they're going to come. And, you know, you, you sit here and, you know, I know from your perspective and my perspective as well, you do these podcasts and go, okay, I'm, I'm enjoying them because they're, they're great interchange and you learn a lot in the process. It's probably the greatest channel I've ever been involved in because I've gotten to meet some amazing people. But at the end of the day, you're going... I wonder if this if this can be me and that person I interviewed that get to experience this. And, and you know, how do I let the people that I really think need to hear this, hear this? Yeah. I mean, for those who uh, can't see us, I've been bobbing my head along pretty consistently for the last four or five minutes. I mean, so much good stuff in there, Jim. But I think, you know, that idea, we, you know, again, sometimes as marketers, we can get so focused on the content as opposed to the job that it needs to do. And the thing that you need before the content can do its job is you need the attention of your audience. 
And so you need to be thinking about that just as much as you're thinking about the content. It needs to be distribution and production. And it all comes back. It's trust. I mean, the bottom line is trust. Somebody subscribed to you or started following you because they trust you you're going to provide value. It's a value exchange. Yeah. yeah. And at the end of the day, you found that if you didn't have a consistent schedule for when they could tune in and find you, you broke the trust factor. Yeah. You know, Love and FS for, for years has developed amazing content. What's interesting, though, as good as we are at knowing what we should do, we think about what's the next episode, what's the next event, and we never market the evergreen stuff that's just as good as the day we wrote it. You know, and, and it's funny because I get frustrated. I, I hired a, a guy that's been on my social team for quite some time to say, okay, I want something to be posted every day for a podcast. I have over, you know, I have over a hundred that I've done. I, I said, I want something posted every day. If we do it every day, they're only going to see it again, maybe three months from now. And it's going to get longer and longer before they see it. But this evergreen stuff, it didn't get old. You know, there's something that may have to be rethought, but you, we forget about that because we think about the next great thing. And I, I, when I work with clients on podcasts, webinars, you know, virtual events, I say, guys, please do me a favor. I can't, I can't hold your hand, but don't just promote it before so that people attend. The real value, the real long tail is continuously promoting because especially on social media, 98% of the people out there don't even know you did it. They didn't see the first post or they didn't get the email or they didn't click the link. So, you know, don't be afraid to send an email that talks about something that you talked about two months ago because there's going to be somebody that says, I didn't see it because we go through email. We go through any direct communication and click. You know, that's why the power of SMS tests, I'm going like, okay, can I get people to respond immediately? Because everybody responds almost immediately to that channel. So interesting stuff. Yeah. We, we had a whole workflow last year, basically on that prompt, you know, at that point we were four years in, but just think of all the content that 11FS teams, you know, before my time, oh. in my time, so much. Hundreds and hundreds of things that all are, you know, every one of the episodes are phenomenal. And you so go, much value. Why are we not promoting it? You know, you almost say, and I, you know, let me hire an intern and say, here's your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Get it out. Well, what there. we did is uh, we actually restructured the website. So now we have a content hub on the website that makes the entire back catalog of 11FS content searchable. Right. So if you're looking for X topic or Y topic, you can now go there and resurface it. And then also that distribution and that recycling and repushing a content and doing it from a perspective of, like you said, how do I add value to the audience? I think yep. that will always lead you in the right direction. You mentioned community. So that's the text messaging platform, right? Yep. Super fascinated by that, just by yeah. what I've seen. I'm not following too many people on there, but I've, you know, the open rates are amazing. It's such an intimate, direct connection with the customer. Like you said, you're not relying on another platform or an algorithm. Um, how, how has that been for you so far? Because I think that that's a channel where, again, if you do it right, it's not spammy. You're trying to add value and engage. Yep. I think there's a lot of opportunity there that people aren't maybe thinking about yet. I was lucky to get in one of the early rounds of invites, signed up. I've been paying for it monthly and haven't done anything with it yet. I mean, it's a terrible story, but the reality is there's only so many hours in the day. And I, it's frustrating because you go, I know this is powerful. The, my goal is to get people signed up. We have a lot of email address. We have a lot of phone numbers. And simply use it as a reminder, oh, by the way, this report just got published. Or this is, a, you know, as you said, I don't want to be spammy. I don't want to do it once a week. I don't want to do it on a schedule. I want to be able to say, you may have missed this. Here's something you may want to be interested in. And knowing that people are going to click it. And, and the biggest issue is, you know, our, our 
spam rate or our spam filter rate on things we send out, even by email, where people have asked for the email, we can't control what these banks do. And if you use a word that they don't like, free, sale, you know, any of these salesy terms, and they put you on a spam filter, it doesn't matter what you've done after that because that whole organization doesn't see it, which is which is totally insane. But I don't want corporate email guys. I don't want the people at LinkedIn. I want the people at Twitter to determine who sees my stuff, especially when the people have opted in. So that's the power community. I'm the first one to say that I, I know what the power is. I know how I want to use it. It's a matter of uh, finding the people to help me use it. Well, I'm going to sign up just so that when you do start using it, I'll be first in line to get oh, those updates. Oh, there we updates. go. There no, we go. Pr- no pressure. I'll send no you pressure. an invite. Yeah. I'm curious to double click a little bit on. You mentioned you have a, a social team built around you and what you said just about the quantity of content that you're trying to produce. And I think that that's, um, that's a conversation that's been going on in the industry for a while. A couple of years ago, I think it was debating whether or not you needed to produce a lot of content. Now, I think most people have realized that they need to be producing a ton of content in order to stay relevant in digital marketing, at least. Are there any kind of tips or advice? Or I'd love to talk about that a little bit more because I think there's probably a lot of people listening who are thinking about how do I produce more content for my team, for my agency, Let's talk about that. Well, you know, and and I'm going to use this in quotes because David Brewer and I have talked about this on various channels at times, and, and Eric, you would understand this, that everybody in a way wants to be an influencer in their space. It may only be within their company. They want to be recognized that, that they know what they know. And while I have this influencer status, that's more because I create a lot of content and I've been on social channels for since the beginning, uh, well over 10 years. So it's, I always say, it's not like I'm an influencer, it's that I influence people. So you know, I don't build anything, you guys do. And I think the key then is, I give the suggestion to everybody, when they say career advice or anything else, the social channels and the ability to build content about something you love is so powerful. It's so dynamic, it's so interesting. And the biggest part about this is it doesn't have to be perfect. You know, I, your old boss, Gary, you know, he says it really well. You know, I'll, I'll put crap out there and I'm, I'm not happy with it, but that's the only way you learn. And so if your favorite channel is video, or if your favorite channel is audio, if your favorite channel or the channel you feel more comfortable in is writing, you don't have to write, you know, a 2,000 word article like I sometimes do. You can write a blog post. It's, you know, 120 words, 250 words, whatever. But get your thoughts out there and build a brand for yourself. And this goes for anybody. You need to build a personal brand to say what you represent, what you stand for. Oh, and by the way, it doesn't have to be in the field that you're currently in, but it's got to be about something you love. So if you're doing it simply to make headway and to say, I'm smart in this, but you don't like it, it comes out real quickly in the content you produce. You know, nobody has ever challenged me for passion or for commitment or for enthusiasm. And it's because you can't fake it. And the reality is it helps in all avenues. You know, one of the reasons why there are a lot of followers, one reason why there are a lot of people that attend my webinars, my virtual events, is because they won't be disappointed from the standpoint of, geez, he obviously really is excited about what I find to be boring. But you know what? What are you excited about? So it may be, I I bring up the fact that, you know, it may be that you really like those little metal cars and that's what you really are passionate about. Become, become the best in that or become a, a person who's passionate about it. You'll find a community of people 
that are just like you because the world is, is so small right now. And so it really gets down to, number one, don't do content for the sake of doing content. Do content because you care about it. Because otherwise, it's a painful process. You never get. get in a routine. Build a sequence and a cadence that people can rely on. I told this to Ron Shevlin once. He, he said he was going to, at the very first week he worked, or month he worked with Forbes, he said, you know, I got my four articles in. I'm not going to do the last Monday. I said, no, no, you, you don't understand. Even though you may not get paid for it, you got to be reliable that every Monday, not every Monday when you have to do it, but every Monday, they can go to Forbes and find you. That is extraordinarily important. And oh, by the way, it's not going to do nearly as well. You're going to see if you ever do a Tuesday or Thursday post also, it's not going to do nearly as well because people aren't looking for it. But once you build that cadence, people, that's a trust factor again. They, re, they want to make sure that they don't get disappointed by finding you. So you can't just have it whenever you feel like it. You got to do it when the consumers or your followers expect it. And by doing that, you don't have to do as much if you're reliable. And, and, at the end of the day, that simplifies a person's life, either in business or in the consumer life. It simplifies if I know, oh, on Mondays, I'm going to go visit Jim's financial brand post because I know it's going to be at the top of the page. The other thing I'd add to that, because I believe in everything you said, and the consistency part I think is so key, the other part is patience. Oh, For a personal brand yep. or a, a, a business brand, a consumer brand, it takes time to build these followings, to build these communities, to, to build that equity and that trust yeah. and that value with people. And um, I think that's the other thing is like, it's not weeks or months, it's years. And so having that mindset to be able to do it consistently yeah. over time, that's where you start to get yeah. to the big numbers. Yeah. And, and the patience is a big deal because, you know, we've all learned certain tricks. I mean, I'm going to be promoting your podcast because you're pretty important in the social media world. So it's good to promote what we did together because you have a following that's in some ways different than mine. In the same reason why you probably picked me, because you go, hey, you know what? I, I don't mind riding his coattails. That's part of the game. I mean, when I look at guests for my podcast, part of what I look at is, is the name of the person, name of the company, or is the social following great enough where I'm going to be able to build a community that's greater than my own because it goes beyond what I have myself. So that's part of the patience factor. If you only keep it within your small group of friends, that's all you're going to have to follow you. But what's great is I found that if you write about something you love and you find who loves it more than you and does more than you, and yeah. you write about what they've done, they return that favor. That's a that's what social and social media has to do with about. You know, the fact that I had Jay Bear on the show talking about customer experience and marketing, that was a mutually beneficial engagement. I benefited from his audience, he benefited from my audience. We loved the engagement, which passion was not faulty at all. I mean, on both sides. But at the end of the day, you, you realize these shortcuts to help you in your mission. And it, it doesn't get easier. You know, you can't stop and take time off. The one benefit of having a cadence is it puts you into routine. I write. Nobody can get a hold of me on Sunday nights from six o'clock on because they know I'm writing my Monday article. Now, I may have done it before then, but that's at work day. Fridays afternoon, uh, probably not as much, but it, you know, again, it, it, it's building a, a routine, and and it is not easy. There's no, you know, some people have made it really fast. There's really no fast track to success in this yep. business. I don't believe. Love that. And um, the last question I had. I mean, you've given so much of this already, but would love if you have any other lessons that you've learned 
over the years that you think would be valuable for people in marketing roles in the world of financial services to hear? W- would love to hear a few more of those as well. Jeez, the lessons. One of the lessons, and I've referred to it a couple of times, and certainly in the last conversation, is if you don't like, this is for anybody, if you don't like what you're doing, if you go to work dreading it, you've stayed too long. And I don't care what the marketplace is, there's a place for you to find a position that you will love. And to not be, I can't have imagined, I've been very fortunate through my whole career, because my dad said it very early in my life, not my career, but in my life, he said, if you wake up not wanting to go to work, you've spent one day too long at the job you're at. So I've always been very fortunate that I've moved on to the next thing at a time when it was felt good to both the person that I was working for as well as me, that we both had a good value transfer. We both benefited from the engagement. But I went on to the next thing, not being fearful of what would happen because I had enough confidence to say, it ain't life and death. I've had bad things happen in my life that are a lot worse than having a job that wasn't perfect. And, you know, I started with a financial brand at a time that it was exactly the same time that I got laid off because the company that took over my agency didn't like me because I competed with them for so long. Well, it may have been that reason or another reason, but it pushed me into the water and said, okay, swim. Well, the good news is I was able to swim in something I liked. And, and you know, it's like you. We've, we have talked about this, that if you didn't like what we were doing, why in the world would you do it? I, 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 and it goes for any level. It's not just marketers. But marketers, I think it showcases it more because they expect marketers to be the upbeat person. So if you aren't liking, if you feel out of source that's not really for you, if you're a person that says, I don't want to change, why is it everything I've learned is no longer relevant? If you've not decided to keep relevance important, then you've gone too long. And and actually, this is why me writing a blog was why it happened in the first place. My story very quickly is that at the age of 55, I started writing a blog. And the company I worked for said, are you doing this against us? I said, no, no, this is all benefit. Everybody benefits from this. I benefit, but I benefit through you because I'm representing you. It gets me indoors on the sales side. They said, why are you doing it? I said, well, one major reason, because I know people that have been 55 that have lost relevance in the marketplace because they didn't stay sharp. And I said, the beauty of writing about research and stuff that's out there is number one, when I write it, it's gone, it's public, and I got to find something else. You got to keep on filling that intelligence bucket. And I can say that, you know, looking back, let's give away the age, but going looking back 12 years, I'd say that I'm probably as into the market as I've ever been. I'm certainly doing a whole lot more with it. But it, but the reality was, you know, are you still relevant? You know, I, yeah. and that's more of a life lesson than anything else. But, but and, and as we said at the beginning, change sucks. But right now, if you don't change the catching up process, it's yep. insanely difficult. Love that. I think that's a great place to leave it. So with that, we will wrap up the show. Jim, thank you so much for joining me. Fantastic conversation. I really enjoyed it. Where can people find out more about you? It's not too hard to find me. I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn. On Twitter, it's at Jim Maroos, M-A-R-O-U-S. You can find me on the financial brand. I write a few articles a week. You can find uh, my reports on digitalbankingreport.com. And and actually, a lot of what I'm doing right now is uh, the podcast, the Banking Transform podcast, available on 
all podcast uh, platforms that you're familiar with, as well as can register through the financial brand. We have a, a drop down there that you can see everything I've done in the podcast. But Eric, it's great to be with you. I, I admire what you've done and what you're doing. I have always been a fan of Love and FS and what they're doing in the marketplace. I know that, uh, geez, it, it's tough to run a small business during COVID, no matter what happens and doing it remotely. But you guys have uh, gotten through that process pretty well. Thanks, Jim. Fantastic team here that I'm lucky and proud to be a part of. So go check out everything that Jim is up to. You heard it here. Check out any or all of those platforms and activities that he's got going on. And thank you to everybody for tuning in and listening. If you want to find out more about 11FS, head on over to 11FS.com to see how we are helping companies in the world of financial services discover the opportunities of becoming truly digital. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review. Be super helpful. There'll be many more to come. Let us know what you thought of today's episode. You can always connect with us at 11FS on Twitter or LinkedIn, and you can reach myself and the production team here by emailing podcasts at 11FS.com. More episodes coming out soon. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.